iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Yo, technology, what is it all about? We would just order bags of white powder from Alibaba, from China, from research chemical laboratories. <laughs> Essentially, I had sub-milligram, microgram accurate essentially drug scales, and just started making my own little concoctions. It tastes crazy. Like, <laughs> gotta warn you about that. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. This week, we dive into the world of biohacking with Dr. Brianna Stubbs and Jeff Wu, whose company, Human makes something called ketone ester, which is a pretty foul-tasting liquid that, in theory, can dramatically improve the functioning of your brain and body. In fact, as we record this podcast, several teams from the Tour de France are guzzling this concoction. Uh, So are some NFL players, the U.S. military, and in Silicon Valley, where people do everything from fasting to microdosing LSD in hopes of achieving a higher cognitive plane. Humans Concoction has got a pretty loyal and growing customer base. So ketones are really just the latest addition to a rapidly developing arms race to achieve what they call, in California parlance, as human optimization. Yes, it's a thing. So, I cycled down to human last week, ironically for a company obsessed with the synthetic elevation of the human condition. Their headquarters lies in the heart of the Tenderloin which is ground zero for the city's opioid-addled homeless population. It's, it's a pretty grim part of the city. Anyhow, once inside, I met Jeff Wu, who presented me with two clear little plastic bottles, both holding about the equivalent of a shot glass, and the stuff is not cheap. They sell it for 30 bucks a dose, but I wanted to see for myself what this keto thing was all about, and Wu was happy to oblige. I mean, it'll work with one drink, but uh, with our professional athletes or with our military customers, we dose adjust per body weight. So 25 grams is designed for 70 kilogram person. Now, I must tell you, the taste was, as he warned, crazy. One person I interviewed for the story said it reminded him of fatty nail polish remover. I would say it's more something like what I would imagine a cocktail of orange juice and bleach would taste like. Anyhow, I took my medicine, and just before I did that, I took a finger prick test to measure the ketone levels in my blood. And as expected, as someone who doesn't fast or eat anything, and you kind of have a normal diet, um, they were minuscule. 
But as I let this elixir propagate through my body, I got to talk to Jeff and later Brianna about how they got involved in the business, how they see it developing, and what, why they think this could be the start of something very big. And a bonus before we get to them, if you stick around till the very end of the episode, you'll hear the results of a totally unscientific test I conducted on myself to see if my ketone shot gave me superpowers. But first, here's Jeff. I'm a computer scientist by, by training, studied CS at Stanford. And a couple years out after selling my first company. Which was what? It was called GlassMap to, to, to Groupon. We were doing really battery efficient location tracking algorith- algorithms for mobile. I, I had some, I guess a bit of luxury to just think about problems I wanted to work on. I had realized that all my smartest friends from Stanford were putting their big brains towards making computers better, making better machine learning algorithms, helping people click more ads. It seemed like we're all fundamentally human. Why aren't people thinking about making humans better? And that got me down the rabbit hole of looking at biohacking and applying systems thinking to people, not just machines and robots and computers. And the initial area of interest was looking at improving our cognitive function. Our brains are the only defining interesting thing that makes humans particularly interesting as an animal. Right. So how do we double down in making humans even better in, in cognition? I started playing around with nootropics, and nootropics are an umbrella term for things that enhance aspects of cognition, memory, re- reaction time, or resilience to stress, for example. Those and are very- there, is there much in the world of nootropics out in the world right now? I imagine here in Silicon Valley, people take nootropics, but out in the world, I imagine most people haven't even heard of them. If the science has got to a point where, yes, these are some things that work and people are taking them. It's definitely an uptick in terms of interest. If, you know, that was essentially the original thesis of why we even started tinkering with making nootropics. It was the notion that there was a lot of people searching online for nootropics, but it was very unclear how to access them in a safe, reliable way. I had essentially built the original version of human, which is called Nutribox, for myself. I just wanted to find the most robust, science-backed nootropics out there in a safe, easy way. Within eight months, we were doing like 80000 a month of revenue. So explain that. So how do you just come up with a <laughs> box of, of stuff to take to help your brain work better? Sure. So in the beginning, it was just me on these online forums with my co-founder, but then friend, he was a product manager at Google at the time, looking at essentially N equals one science experiments of biohackers tinkering with different research chemicals on themselves. Uh, And people were playing with all sorts of compounds. On on the more safe side, you had people looking at different supplements. Well, regarding, I mean, caffeine is a psychoactive substance, the most commonly used psychoactive substance, right? So you have things like caffeine and different ratios of caffeine to other compounds, all the way to people looking at research chemicals that were unscheduled. Unscheduled. They're not a food. They're not a supplement. They're not a drug. They're not illegal. They're just like... They're not necessarily legal either. Yeah, it's yeah, just like a re- just, yeah, it yeah. just it's just like the, the weird great area of like bath salts or something. Right. These are just chemicals that people sell online. You're not supposed to eat them. People don't really sell them to be eaten, but people just eat them. And then you have people doing explicitly illegal things like microdosing LSD. Right. Like that's a whole spectrum. Yes. Of of biohacking, um, that was somewhat intriguing for me exploring the space where. I think of this phrase, the 
the plural of anecdote is data. And there was just a lot of interesting anecdotes of people's experiences. And that got me thinking, hey, is there some real signal here? I understand the initial skepticism. I was, you know, as a computer scientist, I'm kind of a, a skeptical by nature, perhaps. But then you read peer-reviewed published work on healthy humans, also a lot more work on animals and rats and all, all, you know, all these different models. And there definitely were types of compounds that seemed to rise to the top. And that's what we started gravitating towards. And I started experimenting with myself and Michael. We would just order bags of white powder from Alibaba, from... From China. From China, from research chemical laboratories. <laughs> Did that ever cause any problems? Like when you had bags of white powder being shipped with a Chinese post label? No. <laughs> uh, they just showed up at my my house. You didn't have like uh, the authorities that banging down no, your door. No, I, mean, yeah. I mean, they were they were a hundred percent above board. Uh, yeah. These were unscheduled compounds. They would have the nice certificate of analysis and the import. This was a while ago, but I believe they ordered them as commercial samples. Right. Uh, so I got them for free, and there was no monetary value tied to tied And then you samples. just started testing them out. Essentially, I had sub milligram, microgram accurate essentially drug scales right and just started making my own little concoctions so if somebody walked into your house back in those days and you had bags of white powder and drug scales they might think you were doing something else (laughs) and i I wouldn't blame them i mean it's i i understand that it is a it might seem a little strange in the beginning but i think thinking back towards those times i think if you entered a homebrew computing club meeting in the 70s and 80s and you saw some people with weird things that might have looked like explosive devices in their garage like oh what are these people doing one thing that i like to paint is that i think the biohackers of the day are the intellectual descendants of the original homebrew computer tinkerers right except for today we're tinkering on the substrate of biology so through that experimentation you kind of create well, a box of products, some kind of subscription service that you could send out to people. And um, do you, did you build that through the online forum to being like, hey, we're Nutribox, we have some stuff? Yeah, it was, it was not originally designed to be like a venture-backed business. It was, I wanted nootropics that I thought were the best. Things that are legal, things that have a robust body of uh, data on healthy humans, not just animals. And things that I felt met a bar of safety that there were not trying to tell people to microdose LSD every day. Yeah. And getting in a way that was tested and and simple to access. So I was like, okay, like I'm figuring this out for myself because I was basically pulling together research chemicals from China. Right. And I was like, okay, like there should be a better way to do this because this is kind of, this is kind of crazy. And so within, you said eight months, you're making 80 grand a month. Yeah, like 80, 90 K a month. Yeah, it just went really quickly. And I think we were, we were lucky because there was just like an uptick of just broad interest around nootropics. And I imagine, I have no idea because I haven't been on these forums, but I imagine there is a whole community online of people sharing ideas and it's yeah. quite a vibrant yeah, community. Yeah, like our nootropics, longevity. I mean, a lot of these like singularity, longevity, nootropics, biohack reforms were just really just giving advice to each other. Oh, I like this ratio of alphenine to caffeine. Oh, I like Bacopa. I like rhodiola. I like this compound, that compound. And here's a story of like me trying to placebo control it for myself where I did cognitive testing on this day. Uh, I didn't know what the intervention was until after the week. So people were starting to make this more robust. 
Yeah, I, I think we were just somewhat early on that transition from just being fully crazy people to more and more mainstream people right. in, in the engineering world or the financial world or consulting world. Got you. And then so how do you go from that kind of homebrew type operation to this? Because these are, you know, they're kind of cool looking bottles and it's all very sleekly branded. And Yeah, no, we've grown a lot since then. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit of a crazy journey. I, I think, again, I think we got the initial traction from the community to really be confident on really thinking, hey, this could be a real business, right? So for that first eight months, it was like project mode. Like, I'm interested in nootropics, enhancing my performance. Now, like, I have this little service going. Now it's like, whoa, a lot of people really want this, and maybe this could be something that we really, you know, spend the next, maybe the rest of my life doing. Yeah. Um, when we're doing around a million revenue run rate, we started raising some capital, pulled together capital from you know well-known entrepreneurs like Mark Pincus or Mr. Mayer that we knew from our previous jobs and and the networks. And presumably, folks like that who invested, especially at that early stage, yeah, because there is a big movement here, especially in Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. for for lack of a better word, brain enhancement or improving cognitive function yeah. somehow. Is that fair? I, I wouldn't even put it that way. I, I would like to think that they had were betting on some sort of macro trend. But I think, honestly, I think how I would have seen myself if I were to be an inv- put on my investor hat, I would have seen like two probably decently smart people that came from a good education background on this crazy growing profitable right e-commerce thing and like there seems to be this macro trend niche culture around biohacking worth a shot right like right. i mean i think when you're betting on like two people hacking from my apartment yeah um that's kind of the play right i think one has to make the assumption that yeah maybe biohackers aren't completely nuts right um, but i think once you got over that fact i think it's like a I think now we have an actual science story, but I think in the early days, it was kind of like, we see some traction, some interesting, and some some motion. Right. So you get some backing, and then what happens? You know, we started actually, I would say, professionalizing our operations. We have a proper research and development lead. Dr. Brianna Stubbs, who I know you'll be chatting with soon, holds a PhD in physiology from Oxford, uh, did her thesis work on human performance studies on the ketone ester, for example. Um, our supply chain operations, our product lead, uh, ran contract manufacturing for Plum Organic, which is a big baby food company. I know you, you, know, you have a young chat, you know, yeah. toddler, so uh, you must have seen their products out. Yeah. So she's literally fed millions of babies before. We went from, I think, being lucky, finally finding this, this kernel, this community of interest around improving human performance. If I were to, again, put the investor hat on, I would say, hey, you have to believe that more and more people are going to care about improving their performance. And then two, uh, the technologies and the science behind our products are real. And I think if you can believe those two assumptions, then I think what we're working on is very interesting. Right. So as you say, I'm going to be speaking with Brianna, I think next week, but so how did you end up with this product? Yeah. I think that's, it's that's yeah, our ketone ester is our flagship product. It's definitely a, a couple orders of magnitude step ups and sophistication. So the origins of our ketone ester comes from a DARPA program called metabolic dominance that was initiated in 2003. Which is the best name ever. 
No, I would, metabolic dominance. Yeah, I met like the program a, manager. A, it sounds like a Steven Seagal movie. <laughs> I think on the on on the sidelines of discussing, I think when you talk to generals and military folks, you, you got to make it sound cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So this is a DARPA program from when? 2003. And it was called Metabolic Dominance, and I mean the clue is in the name. Yes, but uh, the idea the, was the, what? The idea was, can we? ensure that U.S. warfighters are the most metabolically efficient for multi-day cognitively and physically demanding missions. And our research partners at the University of Oxford, led by Professor Karen Clark and Dr. Richard Veach at the NIH, have been studying ketone metabolism for the last 30-plus years now. Some of their early work on rat hearts, this was published in 95, showed that ketones were 28% more efficient per unit oxygen than glucose. So I think we should just pause here. What is a ketone? Ketones, you can think of them as a fourth macronutrient molecule. So what I mean by that is that you have fats, proteins, carbs, and these are line items on your food label, your nutrition facts as things that have calories. And that's what we're all used to knowing. And we we all eat some sort of food with all a combination of those three, three things. Ketones evolved as a backup fuel for the brain and body when the body runs low on glucose or sugar. Which is why these are spike when you fast. Correct. It's an evolutionary mechanism to allow us to survive and flourish when we don't have sugar. And the fact that I bring up sugar because we can store a lot of fat on our bodies, but we can only store a very limited amount of sugar on our bodies. Again, that's just physiologically what happens. If you you have too much sugar, that starts getting converted into fat. So you can think about sugar as your wallet and fat as your bank account. Right. And you can only have a limited amount of cash in your wallet. And so ketones, because fasting is a thing yeah. out here and lots of people who fast, right. including yourself, you fast regularly, I think. Yeah. The idea is that when you fast, your body gets to a point where basically your ketones spike. Yeah. And that gives you kind of clarity of thought or what what is what is the result why do we want something like human that allows that spikes our ketones yeah so from uh the original military use case ketones are really efficient fuel so it's really applicable to endurance physical performance a lot of our customers are competing in the tour de france right now actually some of the robust clinical trials on our product were done originally on british cyclists showing that you could improve your time trial performance by 400 meters in a 30-minute time trial. Right. And where this gets interesting and where it's, I think, getting attraction in Silicon Valley is that ketones are originally designed to fuel the brain. So, again, if you want to go into the physiology here, the reason why sugar is so important for our bodies and why you have a limited store you have a store of it is that sugars are small molecules they can cross the blood brain barrier mm-hmm. but it doesn't it can't use fat because fats are fat big molecules right and they can't cross the blood brain barrier what happens when your body runs out of sugar and you don't eat do we just go brain dead no our bodies evolved a process called ketosis and ketosis is a conversion of our fat stores into ketone bodies. Okay. And ketones are small molecules that can cross the blood-brain barrier. Okay. So that was the original use case for why ketosis evolved. And again, humans are one of the best animals at ketosis because we have such large brains. So effectively, what this drink I've just drank is doing is, in a way, mimicking 
Well, it's kind of creating ketosis, mimicking what would happen if I had been fasting for a week or something. Exactly. Yeah, I hit the nut on it. So basically, we you in 30 minutes or whenever we do your blood test next, yep. you will look like you've been fasting for a week. Again, the advantage of that is cognitive and theoretically physical improvements or Correct. my ability to perform. Or whatever. So how it works from a physical perspective is that your body can have high amounts of glucose and ketones at the same time. So there's two different mechanisms when we're talking about cognitive performance versus physical performance. So to disambiguate that a little bit, a lot of athletes have been playing around with ketogenic diets, like high-fat, low-carb yeah. diets. You might have heard of LeBron James or endurance cyclists talking about how they're cycling between ketogenic diets. And the reason why athletes do that is, again, ketones are really great for endurance fuel. Yeah. But we need sugars have an important role to play too. I think in the nutrition world, it's easy to be too dogmatic. Glucose, you need it for sprints and aerobic performance. It's a very fast, versatile fuel source. In traditional nutrition, you really had to make a trade-off. You could carb load a ton. So this is like marathon runners. You eat yep. a ton of pasta before a yep. race. So you have really, really high stores of carbs. You have no ketones. But as you go in the race, you have to constantly eat uh, like sugar shots or, or Gatorade yeah. or, or goo shots. And if you don't feel enough, you hit the wall. You run out yeah. of glucose. Your body is not able to produce ketones that quickly. And you just cannot even move. You just start falling down. Yeah. In recent couple decades, there's been interest in, can you get around the wall by making people really, really good at using fat as energy store and producing ketones as a primary fuel substrate. Gotcha. So that's why people are on a ketogenic diet. But then again, you're trading off that short sprint performance at the end. You have a lot more fat in the body. You're not going to run out of fat in, yeah. you know, in a marathon. You can run for like a week, but you're not going to have that sprint, that's, yeah. that jump. And the ketogenic diet is greens and meat effectively? It's a lot of fat. So the classic ketogenic diet is 90% of your calories from fat. 90%. Like 80 to 90% from fat, the rest in protein, as, as little net carbs as possible. So basically like a big tub of butter with a little bit of steak. Yeah, so I did, I've done keto very, very strictly. And you can eat greens. You just can't eat like starches. Right. So when I would eat my greens, it would be a big box of spinach, saute it down with olive oil, Maybe put some eggs on it and some cheese on it and eat some fatty fish and steaks. Right. And then try to eat as much fat. Like right. I would eat like whipping cream with my coffee in the morning, for example. Whipping cream in your coffee? It's, it tastes awesome. But it's, like, it, it but, but, but it's like 700 calories of fat. <laughs> um, right. You know, I was doing this with, with my lipids, inflammation. I, I was doing an experiment over right. six weeks. Right. It was a fun experiment. I think it was quite doable. I just had to do grocery shopping like three times a yeah. week and cook all my meals. And so back to metabolic dominance. Yeah. That process starts. They start experimenting with ways to spike your ketones effectively. Yeah. So how does it go from a defense department project to here you are product. 15 years later, a company using a lot of that research? Yeah. So the mandate from DARPA was, can we produce a food to fuel our soldiers and a couple key patents came out of that program so the patents you can actually look up they're assigned to the u.s government department of health and human services and the Ox and oxford university it sort of uh was in a bit of a limbo state as 
for, for a, a couple of reasons. So in 2012, WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency, ruled it as compliant with, with their regulation. Okay. So it's which is big. compliant for sporting use, which is big. And then in 2015, it was approved as a generally regarded as safe food ingredient. So it's properly so it's a regulated food. It's as not a, food. a it's not a drug. It's not a correct. It's, right. So if you actually look on our product labeling, it's on a nutri- nutrition fact. Okay. Uh, zero grams fat, zero grams carbs, zero grams protein, 120 calories. The calories are from ketones. Right. So it's not a supplement, not a drug. It's actually a food, and that's actually one of the DARPA requirements. They wanted it to go through FDA. So that was some of the, I guess, hurdles from a commercialization standpoint, but also the published peer reviews data really started coming out in 2016. So all this research was being pulled and collated over the last 10 years and really in the last couple of years they've been coming out and being gotcha. published. And How, Brianna, Brianna was involved in that. Yeah, Brianna has been working on the ketone ester for the last seven, eight years and obviously the, the research started in 2003 so it's been an active research area for the last 15 right. years. Right, and the, the, the basic ingredient which I guess is a powder it's a liquid. It's an it's ester liquid. liquid. Okay. That liquid is made in Britain. Correct. And so basically the two patent holders are the U.S. Department of Defense and Oxford. Or U.S. government. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Government. Well, it's, like, it's, it's like the NIH side. Of, and so you guys got... We have an exclusive license to commercialize. From Oxford? Yeah. How'd you get that? Good question. <laughs> well, uh, obviously an interesting journey to get down that path, but... How we started with nootropics, we cared about improving cognitive performance. And as we got deeper and deeper into looking at the mechanisms that improve cognitive performance, we realized that fasting was one of the most robust ways to jumpstart neurogenesis, the growth of new neurons. That seemed pretty counterintuitive to me. Like not eating, you usually feel like crap. It's like, how could that make you smarter? Like, I don't get it. But then one of my colleagues started fasting. He has been re- he was reading a lot of U- Walter Longo's research out of USC around longevity, and even more compelling data that's not only good for neurogenesis but potentially good for longevity. And of course, as biohackers, we went pretty went, went on. hard on, on we went fasting. Hard. So we started doing sixty hour fast off the bat, Sunday night to Wednesday morning, not eating, not eating. And the was beginning, that, was that miserable? Yeah, it was terrible. So for the first three weeks, it sucked. <laughs> yeah, like the first half of the week, you just didn't do anything, basically. But like three, four weeks into fasting for that long, it felt good. Like we, we got keto adapted, essentially, in the sense that we were really efficient at converting our fat source into ketones and that it rescued the deficit from having no glucose in our system. We would sort of celebrate at the end of our fast on Wednesday morning with a community breakfast the original meaning of breakfast, right? We're breaking yeah. the fast. I never made that connection. <laughs> Break and fast. Yeah. And we would invite our community members, our customers to join us for these like feasts. In the beginning, we we're so happy to eat. We would just like feast, which is not the way you want to break your we're fast. Break your fast, right. Um, but it was like a fun community event. And we started just doing these breakfasts every single week. Again, it's one of these like lucky things that we did. We didn't plan on making like a fasting community, but we basically started operating a fasting community. Right. So we have like twenty thousand people in a Facebook and Slack group for people today are it's called We Fast. It's a pretty popular, helpful community where people are just sharing tips and sharing encouragement and commiserating, but providing support right. for each other on fasting. Right. And like posting the latest research on fasting. 
in parallel to that, that got me thinking, okay, the engineering mind in me was like, okay, how does fasting even work? Like, why is starving make you perhaps like feel better? And an important part of why that effect seems to happen relate to ketones. So your ketones rise as you're fasting. And of course, as an engineer, it's like, okay, if ketones are important, how do we accelerate the elevation of ketones in your system? Uh, fasting is really hard. Eating ketogenic diet is really hard. Is there any other way to do that? And that was around 2016. So as a research from Oxford was publishing in 2016, we had a lot of momentum as a really fast community group around intermittent fasting and ketogenic diets. At the time, I was just like at keywords on, on PubMed, of all the latest research published around ketones, as I was just learning about the space. And I see a paper from Oxford from Kieran Clark and Brianna basically saying that they made a ketone ester that can elevate ketones really, really, really quickly and improve athletic performance. And there was another paper that I didn't actually see, but it was published like a few months earlier showing that it made mice or, or rats, excuse me, 33% longer on a treadmill and solve mazes 38% faster. So I was like, oh, this is interesting. I had already scheduled a trip out to Europe during that summer, and I would just send a cold email one to Richard Beach, who's one of the, uh, the co- other co-inventor, and one email to Karen Clark, and I hit it off and realized that the timing is perfect to, to right. join in part. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And bring this to the world. So I feel like here is a good place to bring in my conversation with Brianna Stubbs, human's chief science officer to tell how she ended up getting involved with ketones in the first place, how she met Jeff, and ended up joining Human. It's a quite amazing and intense story. So my name is Dr. Brianna Stubbs. I got my PhD from the University of Oxford just around about two years ago now. Uh, My PhD was specifically looking at ketone metabolism, and I got it from the Department of Physiology. I suppose also probably good to say that on the side from studying, I was competing as a member of the British International Rowing Team. So age 12, I was the youngest person to row the English Channel. And you rowed the English Channel? Yeah, with my dad. My dad was an ocean rower. He had That's a, intense. It was cool. So my dad did the first ever ocean rowing race in 97. So I kind of grew up around like crazy adventures. And then age 12, he was planning another attempt at the time. And he took me on one of their 
training expeditions across the channel. Wow. Um, so I, I don't know whether that raccoon has been broken, but at the time I was the youngest person to row the Eng English Channel. I rode for Great Britain as an under 16, as a junior, I won a silver medal at the Junior World Championships and then under 23 team won a gold medal at under 23 level and then went into the senior rowing team. So I was training with the Olympic squad, training three times a day, six days a week. Three times a day, six days a week. Alongside my PhD for four years. So in the, in the Olympic cycle between London and Rio, I was studying and rowing. I was sort of just shy of making the Olympics, which was disappointing, but one, I represented three times at the World Championships and won two medals of silver and a gold medal at the World Championships for rowing. So I was like, I was an elite athlete professional in, in that so much as I had grant funding paid to, to row. So that kind of like ties in how I ended up studying. I went to Oxford to do medicine. So I had a real interest in the human body and how we could make it better and more from like a medical angle, I guess, you know, when you're young, you just have this idealized view of medicine as the only profession that you can do to make people more healthy. I think yeah. probably got a more of a balanced view there now. In my first year, I was doing the Oxford Cambridge boat race at the time and I saw an ad for research studies to come and do 30 minute rowing machine tests and two kilometer rowing machine tests and you'd be paid and you had to drink the ketone drink. And at the time I didn't really know. Where was this ad? Just in Oxford University. So the research studies were being run at the Department of Physiology there. It was just like one of those ads where you had to like... Tear off the little strips, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I reached out and I got in touch with them. I remember the first time that I had the drink, it was this kind of like, at the time they were giving it as like a chocolate milkshake formulation. So you've tasted how bitter it is. It's it's strongly bitter. It's a little like a an alcohol shot. It's, it's yeah, it's a, I've never tasted anything like it. Yeah, really. so imagine that, but having to drink maybe like five times the volume, it being thick and chocolatey. And, you know, it was just like this a protein shake from space kind of thing. It was just, you know, not the sort of thing that you'd want to have to drink before you go and do a maximal effort. So I remember being like, huh, this is kind of, odd and doing the test and feeling as an athlete you, you're very very familiar with your body and you know I was doing these tests weekly so I really really knew like what it would feel like and how it felt to have a good day and a bad day and pacing and I guess the best way to describe it is that it really helped me have my like very best day of that right. day I kind of went off and I was easy to hold the pace that I would normally be struggling to hold on to I was on a good pace and I was feeling good and then it got to halfway and and I was like huh, okay I feel like I can step on more perhaps and perhaps earlier than I would have done anyway it was just this feeling of um energy and and power and you know the feeling perhaps if you take too much coffee and half an hour later you feel just zippy and wired yes. and it wasn't that sort of and a little stuck. bit shaky yeah it wasn't it wasn't a feeling of someone t turning the dial up to, to 20. It was like turning up the dial to like 11 or 12. You know, you're just like, yeah, I feel really good, really strong. So it felt like a good test. After having done that study, I was just really interested to find out more. And um, they had me back to do a couple of other tests. And I got talking to the research team. And as part of my medical degree, I had to do like a mini research project. So I asked them if they would supervise that for me. That was the first time that I was actually kind of on the other end of the needle doing research and got my first exposure to what it's like to kind of plan and run a human study. Now looking back, I can see science is like a, a big learning curve. So that project, first project was very simple, but it kind but of... But you really... started out effectively as a guinea pig. Yeah, that was how I first ever heard about it, tried it out. And that was the first step in, in where I am now. From there, Stubbs gotten accepted into the PhD program, was rolling like crazy, but narrowly missed making the Olympic team. 
So your PhD was in basically studying how ketones work and how they enhance performance. Yeah, pretty much how how best we can use them to optimize metabolism. I mean, you could have almost planned it better given that ketones are like a starvation metabolite that can also be used to fuel exercise performance. The fact that I was like constantly starving and also exercising, it gave me like a really unique insight into the kind of processes that were going on inside my body. And a lot of the reading that I had to do to stay current was stuff that I was interested in. Wasn't it quite expensive initially? Yes. So, I mean, before I joined the project, I think it was, you know, thousands and thousands per single dose drink. And it was sort of coming down. Per like single milkshake. Yeah. Maybe hundreds by the time it was a milkshake that I was having. Right. But I certainly remember, and I don't mind going on the record saying this now, but um, (laughs) when I was doing my first research project, I was trying to sucker some up with a syringe to sort of decant it out and ended up spilling quite a bit, like half a jar. So maybe, you know, it was probably a couple of hundred British pounds worth of ketone. And I just mopped it up and didn't tell anyone. And we had a couple of other jars in the in the cupboard and I sort of topped took a teeny bit from the top of each one to top up the jar right. that I'd spilt so it didn't look like I'd spilt quite as much. But um yeah it was <laughs> it was like gold dust. Um so I still now we have a lot of it. I'm still kind of kind of coming to terms with the fact that it's not gold dust. Professor Clark over at the University of Oxford, she'd been looking for a commercialization partner for a number of years. I'm sure Jeff's told you the story about how he first met Professor Clark. And I actually remember when I first met Jeff, I gave him like the tour around Oxford and showed him all of the old buildings. Or was this the cold email he sent and came over and met? Yeah, so he came over, he was on his way to, you know, meetings in Europe. And, you know, if I'm honest, I definitely seen a lot of people come and go through my three years there a lot of people a lot of people were interested in it so Jeff came along and I was just like okay I'll give him give him the tour we'll have a chat but because I was coming towards the end I was always like interested to see where it was going to go and if there was a way that I could stay involved so when they finalized the agreement uh, Professor Clark and Jeff from Human I was interested to see whether they would look at having someone on the team as sort of a specialist and right. uh, you know the company was smaller at the time and I don't think anyone quite knew what I would do but I knew that especially with my experience as an athlete and my experience with the compound and how to use it that I could add a lot and that I couldn't live with myself if I stayed back in England and watched it go out into the world because I, I know that I would add to stewarding it out and how best to message it and add credibility and add you know some thoughtfulness and you know develop and grow the project better here if I was involved. Ketones are this very like ready brain fuel and early studies in animals looked at cognitive performance in animals fed ketones for like a week, uh, looked at maze solving ability the animals fed ketones were much more able to solve these maze puzzles compared with normal controlled rats. So the evidence in humans is uh, still like somewhat limited. A paper came out within the last month or so looking at cognitive performance before and after exercise when taking the ketone ester. And normally if you exercise, especially intensely, your cognitive performance tails off after time, as whereas in the study condition where they were given ketone ester, the cognitive performance was maintained. If we're if we're being completely correct to like the to the letter, you can't say that it improved cognitive performance, but you can say it attenuated the decline right. in cognitive performance. So um the fact that ketones are a 
teleologically a brain fuel, the promising animal studies and the promising early promise in human studies. Because there are also studies where people's ketones have been elevated when uh, also they're being made hypoglycemic. And again, ketones can protect brain function then. So there's it's all sort of like um, pieces in the jigsaw puzzle that make us think that also ketones have a cognitive effect. But I mean, it's difficult to detect cognitive changes right. in healthy individuals. So it's but, something we're actively investigating. And now. so basically ketones, is it right to think of them as evolution? If you're back in whatever, caveman days, mm-hmm. quote unquote, if you're starving and you need to kind of keep your wits about you and keep going to find your food, yeah. this is the function that they serve. Yeah, that's the best way to think about them. That really informs all of the properties that we see manifested when you're in a state of ketosis so like those papers that have come out have they put numbers to the kind of changes percentages in terms of performance performance cognitive or physical or otherwise uh so i mean in humans the physical performance improvement in terms of endurance is sort of two to three percent in animals it was much greater it was sort of like 30 percent so they did like a week-long study. But if in humans, if you're LeBron James or you're, very... or, yeah, or you're in stage 17 of the Tour de France. 2% is pretty significant. By a sort of magnitude that is fair, let's just say. Because right. I think, you know, if ketones could boost human performance by 30%, then they would be banned. So even though they've been researched for some 30 plus years, it still feels very early days in terms of proving whether ketones truly can help our brains and bodies work better. But plenty of folks are not waiting around to find out. I asked Wu who was using their stuff today. We work with a lot of professional teams and we work with a lot of individual, I guess, people, citizens that are interested in aspects of ketones. So professional teams like... We're not disclosing specific team names yet. We're working on getting the the, the sponsorship and public discussion right. sorted out. But Premier League? Oh, uh, a lot of cycling teams. So that has been our bread and butter. Cycling. Uh, because a lot of the initial clinical trials were done on cyclists. Mm. And it's a very pure sport to measure athletic performance. Right? If we're talking about team sports, right. a lot right. more noise and how to detect performance. But yeah, we're excited about soccer. It's a very endurance-based sport. Are any professional football soccer teams clients? No, not yet. Right. No soccer teams yet, but we're working with a number of American football teams, NFL teams. NBA? It's a right in summer camp. So, yeah, those, yeah. so essentially, we're excited to work with soccer teams. It just right. the World Cup kind of blew out. And everyone's in Russia right now. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully in the next few months we'll, we can talk about soccer. And military? Yeah, we work with uh, you know some elements in the U.S. military. That sounds mysterious. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I can't say too much about the work we're doing there, but you can sort of surmise from just the roots of the technology coming from a DARPA program why there's interest. To... And how much money have you guys raised? We've raised approximately $7 million. From... Uh, a number of investors. One of our largest investors includes Andreessen Horowitz. We have investors that I, I think just span really the interest groups and the areas that we're really excited about. So Joe Montana, who's an NFL legend, is one of our investors. Yep. He's been super helpful on the NFL front. I would say we have people that are just in, super interested in keto. So like Tony Shea from Zappos oh, yeah. is super into keto. And we hit it off around ketogenic diets and ketone esters. So he's an investor. And we have uh, 
Alex Krongard, who's a retired Navy SEAL Admiral as an investor as well. And he's okay. been really helpful as a helping me and the company navigate the world of, uh, of the military. And right. That and I previously didn't have any experience with. And the, uh, because I'm a big NBA fan, any NBA players, I know Kevin Durant is a big investor out here generally, or like LeBron or anybody like that. Not yet. Right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we're excited about engaging the, I mean, the Golden State Warriors right in our backyard. Okay, is there anything else we've missed? We should. Yeah, we should. You're, uh, you're running short on time. You. Yeah, so we're gonna do the finger stick now, and I can. It's exactly like forty minutes in. Right. So let's go. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So for the second time in an hour, Wu drew some blood, and this time the results were dramatically different. My blood ketone levels jumped from zero point one millimoles to four point six. That's a 46-fold increase. Yeah, I mean, that's... I mean, that's a big number. I just, uh, it'll be interesting. I guess we have to see how I feel. Yeah, no, I think you should, like, talk to... I, I think, like, talk to a doctor or something. Like, hey, like, my blood ketones went from 0 0.1 to 4.6 in, like, 30, 40 minutes. I'll be like... And, I don't know, they'll be like, that's impossible. Or, like, what, like right. are you sick? Or what the hell happened? <laughs> right? Because, like, it's just like, I'm, that's pretty massive. After I left human, I went on about my day. I went to the office, I did work, ordered a sandwich. I can say that I felt uh, perhaps maybe more lucid than normal. It was really hard to say. So I decided to test myself another way on my treacherous commute home. Okay, so it's about 2.30 in the afternoon. I'm on my bike, bicycle. I've got to ride across town up a very big hill which I hate. So I'm going to see if my ketone-infused body responds any differently than how it usually does, which is basically crying out for me to stop. Um, but yeah, we shall see. I hope, uh, I hope there's a difference. I'll let you know. Okay. <sighs> Excuse me. <sighs> I'm at the top of the hill. Um, I'll be honest. I'm not feeling 110%. However, um, that was maybe a bit less terrible than normal. Placebo? I don't know. Um, I think I need to try the ketone thing for more than one shot. Problem is that at thirty bucks, uh, thirty bucks a bottle. I don't think Mrs. Fortune's gonna sign off on that one. Anyhow, uh, all right. Good news is it's all downhill from here. And that is all the time we have for this week's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Please stop an Apple Podcast, give it a rating and or a review. If you like what you hear, it really does help find other people find the show. So take a moment and do that. I always really do appreciate it. And I do read every review, which we're now up to like 250, mostly five-star reviews, which is amazing. So please do keep those coming in. And if you want to read more about human, I've written about them in this weekend's Sunday Times which you can find online at thetimes.co.uk. You can find me on Twitter at Danny Fortson or email me at danny.fortson 
at sunday-times.co.uk. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.